All right. Well, happy Mother's Day. We're going to talk about, uh, we're just going to talk about traits of a mother. I, uh, uh, I was blessed and privileged to have a good mama growing up. She passed away when I was 38. And so Janie and I have been uh, married for nearly 43 years, together for 45 years. And so uh, she is uh, the mama now that I put my eyes on. And I, I, she's, got, she's got three traits that I think are very biblical traits. So this message isn't about Janie. It's about mothers, spiritual mothers, females, even daughters that look up to their mothers. It's really about the traits of a, a person. That you can walk away today and say, I need, I need those traits. I need to be that type of person. Marcus is going to help me here in a minute, but I'm going to read Psalms 127, uh, verses 1 through 4. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it uh, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In other words, we need to incorporate God in everything, right? In our family, in our giving, in our praying, in our lifestyle, we need to incorporate God. It is in vain that you rise up early and you go to bed late eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I always tell Janie because she doesn't sleep good at night. We're just at that age where three, nights, three hours a night is just a really good night's sleep. And uh, I said, you know, the Bible says that if you work hard and you're honest, God will give you a good night's sleep. And she always hits me. So it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I work harder than you do, you do, but uh, I sleep better than you do. <laughs> Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Let's go back to verse 3 for a second. Behold, children are a heritage. Uh, Dr. Jack Hayford says this in, in his reference Bible, that this word children here isn't just talking about biological. And so if you have biological children, but maybe they've grown away or maybe even deceased, if you have never had biological children, this talks about spiritual children as well. This is a reference point where it talks about all people, that we can disciple, we can mentor, uh, we can be discipled, we can be mentored, we can pour into our children. This is a heritage. This is the fruit. This is reward. This is God saying, if you'll do my plan, and it's not in vain, if you pour into, then God will give fruit thereof. And then let's go to Deuteronomy for a second. I think it's four and nine. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. The older some of us get, the more memories we have. And I've been thinking greatly lately just about some of the things God has brought me and Janie and our family through and kind of like just miraculous things that we didn't even know at the time. And I want to pass them on to our kids or to our kids' kids because God's hand is at work. God's hand isn't at work just in the Old Testament. God's hand is at work today. God's works through healing and deliverance, salvation and ministry and freedom in the Holy Spirit. And so he said, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and to your children's children. Every person uh, that can should somehow journal. And maybe you journal on Facebook or journal in a journal. Maybe you journal. But write things down so that your children can know. My friend Landon Barefoot was talking about even doing a video so they could be handed down. Think, things that you have seen, 
things that you have done. Thing that Janie's got a long lineage of ministry in her family, and I just I love I loved hearing her father tell the stories. Uh, all my grandparents are from Europe. I loved hearing, uh, actually, my sister is the one that would tell me most of the stories about our grandparents. I love, I love hearing the history. How much more so, then, do we hear the history of God? If we hear, if we hear a biblical background. And, and moms, today, as Marcus comes, moms, today, maybe it's in your heart to sit your kids down at different times and just talk about the different history and talk about the different joys that you had even growing up or raising your kids in the fear and admission of the Lord. Three traits of a godly mother. Marcus is going to do the first one. Thank you, Papa. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Happy Mother's Day, Mama. Charity, my beautiful mother and mother of my children. Uh, it's an honor to get to speak to you on this special day. So why don't we look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at three moms that are in this one chapter. It's the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. All of these women, all these people had faith. There's mostly men, but there are three moms that stick out. The first one is Sarah. Uh, so Hebrews 11, 11 says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful. That's God, who had made the promise. So here in this story, we see Abraham's wife, Sarah, was a woman of faith. Because even though she went through opposition, there was difficulty, she was able to remain true to God. So before I tell you about faithfulness, I want to kind of define what faith is. First, let's jump over to uh, James chapter 2, and it says this, verse 22. You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a man is, or a woman is not justified by works and is not uh, by works and not by faith alone. So we see that faith and works go hand in hand. So faith is not just believing. That's one really big part of it. But Sarah was faithful. We need to be faithful. Let's understand what that is. It's not just believing that God does what he does and that he is who he is. There's a second component, which is doing to be hearers and not, uh, not, not, just, not just hearers, but doers, right? If you believe that a parachute can save you uh, and the plane is going down and you just kind of are on the edge of that plane, you got to jump out, you believe intellectually that the parachute's there and it's, that, that believing alone is not going to save you. You actually have to take a step out. And then the, the, the other is likewise also, if you just do something for God, but you don't really believe that, uh, you're doing it for him, you're just doing it. If somebody just pushes you out of the airplane with the parachute, that had nothing to do with your faith. That had something to do with somebody else's actions. So it's both believing, uh, hearing and obeying God, and, and then doing what he said that he should do. And then when you do that on repeat, over and over and over, that's called faithfulness. And that's the first attribute or character quality that we're talking about today uh, with Sarah. So let me tell you a little bit more about her story. Um, the, the thing about Sarah is it's not that she was faithful and it's not that she was perfect. All right. Um, we're not saying that you have to do everything right every day, always, in order for you to be counted faithful. Sarah messed up. She was complicit in a lie that actually... Uh, she was trying to hide her identity and things like that. She's trying to protect herself, and, and she didn't quite have faith in that moment. All right. She also thought to God, "I don't know that 
It's taken so long for, for this promise to be fulfilled. God promised Abraham that he was going to be a father of many nations. And that promise was for Sarah also. But Sarah kind of thought, you know what, God, you're taking a long time. I don't know that I want to wait for you. So I'm going to go ahead and go around this a different way. And another child was born to a different woman. And Abraham, God said, that's, that's not the promise I had for you. So I'm not telling you that you have to be perfect. I'm not saying you're disqualified because you messed up in your life. I'm telling you, Sarah said, all right, God, I know I messed up, but I'm going to repent. I know I did the wrong thing, but I'm going to do the right thing tomorrow. I'm going to do the right thing today. It's more important how you finish the race than how you start the race. Amen? So what we need to do is take, uh, take advice from her and say, all right, I'm going to be faithful. Here's the key to her story, though. The key to her story is how long she was faithful. It's easy to be faithful for a day or two days or a year. But sometimes it's really hard to be faithful for decades. And that's what happened in Sarah's life. She was 90 years old before she had her, her one and only child. 90 years old before she, the, the promise that God gave her was fulfilled with the birth of her son Isaac, who would then go on to be the father of 12 boys um, who, well, one boy, grandfather of, anyway, father of Israel. Okay, the nation, big millions of people. All right, anyway, <laughs> the um, promise was eventually fulfilled. What if that promise was fulfilled when Sarah was uh, 18 years old or 25 years old or even 30 years old or let's just say 40 years old? What if, what if that's when God said, all right, now you have your child? We might look at the situation and think, okay, that, that happened about in a natural way. You know, maybe that was God's chosen, you know, heir to this dynasty that would become the father of many nations. But maybe there would be a little bit of doubt for some people. If she just was 25 and she just had four kids, yeah, father of many nations. Yep, God, you said it. I believe it. That settles it. We're done. But because of she was 90 years old, because the Hebrews and James and Genesis all tell us she was beyond childbearing years. I don't know if we have any 90-year-olds in here, but I think you'd agree with me, right? You're past that point. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, right? <laughs> we're past that point, and we're not 90. <laughs> we're good. All I'm saying is you get to a point, <laughs> and you don't want to have kids. What if the opposition that Sarah endured was there and allowed by God because of an opportunity that God was allowing to have glory to God? What I'm saying is, what if there was an opposition that God could have easily in a moment said, here's your blessed child. What we can see is because she was past childbearing age, she was 90 years old, there was no doubt whatsoever that this was God's child. That the opposition in your life might be there because God is creating an opportunity for you to glorify him, for you to be obedient, for you to be faithful to him. Faithfulness doesn't happen if you get everything you want the first time you pray for it. That's just called getting miracles. That's wonderful. That's a different message. But faithfulness says, God, I'm tired of coming to church on Mother's Day after Mother's Day thinking about the children that I want to have, thinking about the mother that I lost, thinking about this, thinking about that. I'm tired of going to work tomorrow, and I, I should be the boss. Not that I've ever said that <laughs> out loud. Uh, is it saying that... Um, <laughs> All I'm saying is you might be tired of being in your situation 
And I'm saying the opposition is simply an opportunity for you to show God that you are faithful. And that honors God. That shows God your heart. And it shows it's a testimony for everyone around you. Amen. So let's be like Sarah and let's be faithful. So good. So good. Good job, Marcus. And so my my scriptures out of 11, uh, 23 through, let's just read 23. Uh, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So mine is a protective mother. So we have the faithful mother, and then we have the protective mother. And, and I, I, how, many, uh, how many mama bears do we have in the congregation? I mean, yeah, literally, right? Like you were, like that was born in you when you gave birth. It was just like, you don't, don't mess with mama bear. That, that's a real true statement. And we're not talking about bears. I saw a bear the other day. We're not talking about bears. We're talking about like females who have kids don't mess with the mama bear. And, and I appreciate that in our household. That's how Janie uh, has always been. That's how Jessica uh, has always been. That's how Jill is. That's how Charity is. It's just the, don't mess with the mama bear. There's a protective nature that God gives us. But in this particular case, there's a little twist in the story. Uh, Moses' parents, if you're ever on Jeopardy and they ask this question, you can write this down. They're Amram and Jochebed. That's Moses' parents found in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. So Amram is the dad. Jochebed is the mom. And so Jochebed, if you've ever had, uh, well, let's, let's go back. So the Bible says in Exodus, the first chapter, there arose a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. Marcus talked about uh, the tribes of Israel a minute ago. That did not know Joseph or his exploits. God had uh, the Israelites, 70 of them, go into Egypt where they could be preserved and protected for years. Well, they were down there for 400 years, and they became a large army, about a million people. And the Pharaoh was nervous and was afraid that they were going to take over or side with an enemy. And so he had all the males killed two years and younger, okay? And then he enslaved the rest of them, working sometimes between 12 and 18 hours a day, six days a week. And so he would put them in slavery, he would put them, put them under his thumb, and then he was killing. So they, Moses was born, he was beautiful, all babies are beautiful, right? And so uh, especially to the mama, Sailor was, so was Jessica a little bit. But, yeah, you look great now, Jess. (laughs) No, there was a three-month picture that we were a little nervous. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, we loved you like our own, but it it was, no, I'm just just messing with you. It's beautiful. All of our kids were just amazing. And so was Moses. And Moses, uh, if if you've ever seen like a children's Bible, uh, there's a picture of this drawn picture of Moses in a cute little basket with, with a blanket on and just, and just floating down the river. Have you ever seen like a, a little chill, like Sunday school? Just, it's so cool. Like, you know, it's just Moses. And, and, but that's like, that's not real, right? Like Moses was in a basket and Moses would put it in a river, but the river was the Nile. The Nile has 10 types of different venomous snakes in it. It's got the largest crocodile population known to mankind in it. 
and it's got the most angry, fierce hippopotamus population in there that kills more things still to this day than ever has before. Human beings, animals, whatever. It's got uh, mosquitoes, mosquitoes and insects that carry deadly diseases, uh, dehydrate you, it sunburns you. It's a vicious, vicious river. This is what Jochebed, Moses' mother, did when she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, put him in the basket, and laid him in a, in a river because if she would have been been protective like many of us or many moms would have today, she would have said, no way is Israel going to, or, or the Egyptian pharaoh going to take my kid, and that Egyptian pharaoh would have killed her and the dad and Moses. See, sometimes when we're overprotective, we actually do a little bit of disservice to the person that we're overprotecting. And by her putting Moses in a basket and sending him down, the, down the, to the river, Pharaoh's daughter found Moses and actually hired Moses' mother to, take, to be the nanny. I mean, how does God work? How cool is God the way he works things out? And so by releasing Moses, she was actually being more protective of him than if she would have held on to him. I'll give you an example. When we were, our kids were younger, we lived in South Omaha. We lived in the uh, Spring Lake area of South Omaha. It was close to work. It was close to church. And there was a school three and a half or so, four blocks away. The school was Spring Lake. Janie, in fact, was one of the first classes or uh, first years at Spring Lake. And so it's kind of cool. The kids go into the same elementary school that, that she went to. And so uh, they, Spring Lake had a kindergarten, a first, a second grade, and then a fourth, fifth, and sixth. It had no third grade because in Omaha they did uh, desegregation, and so you didn't have an opportunity to send your kids to third grade. They got bussed on the other side of town. When the girls were in, at that grade, we were in a different how, uh, uh, school area, and so they got bused to a school called Saratoga, where we knew the principal. She was a family friend, and the principal would say, Annette, that's Janie's given name, Annette, Jill's going to be fine, don't you worry about it, I will look after her. Annette, Jessica's going to be fine, don't you worry about it, I will look after her. And we had a lot of confidence in, in, in their situation, and, and Janie would make her way up there every now and then and see how things are going. The girls turned out fine. Well, in Marcus's situation, he was going to be bused to Kellum Elementary School. Kellum is in the heart of the North Omaha Housing uh, Association. And so the, the school, Kellum, has actually had documentaries on it uh, that have been played on either Netflix or Apple. I can't remember. Janie and I watched one a couple years ago, two twins, or a set of twins that went there. They followed their life for 10 or 12 years. One uh, ended up being getting murdered, and the other one is currently spending a life sentence in jail. And so it's a, we're talking about the heart of, uh, of poverty. We're talking about the heart of poverty. Sin, corruption, uh, there's a shooting there at least once a day, there's a murder once a week. In Omaha, uh, at the time, you had what we would call quiet millionaires. There were more millionaires in Omaha per capita than anywhere in America, but they were the millionaire next door. They didn't look like it. They didn't live like it. They were, you know, they had the big pensions, the 401ks. They were business owners, so on and so forth. But it also had the largest poverty 
in, in America for that time as well. So the disparity between uh, rich and poor was huge and wide. So Marcus was going to have to get bused to Callum Elementary School for third grade. And when he got there, it wasn't like his whole third grade class would be there. They were then dispersed amongst the other kids. And so Janie was either pregnant or had just had Drew. Uh, and so we were, uh, you know, do we send him? What, what do we do? Do we homeschool them for a year? Do we find a private school for a year? Do we send them up there for a year? I, I, I'm not sure. Well, we're not sure. And so we prayed about it, and uh, I let Janie make the call, and she said reluctantly, well, I, I th maybe we should send them. We'll just pray God build a hedge of protection around about him every day, and his favor would be with them, and we did. And the, and the year basically was pretty uneventful. He, he enjoyed his time there as much as a third grader can uh, in, in a an area that he's not used to. Now, let me zoom ahead uh, nine years, and Marcus was, we were moved to Shenandoah, and uh, we have a, a friendship with Bill Wilson, Metro Ministries, out of New York City. And Bill would come and speak for us. He's spoken here, I think, a couple times as well uh, years ago. And so we sent a team up to New York City uh, in the summer before what would have been Marcus's senior year in high school. And uh, Marcus came back passionate for uh, Brooklyn. Passion and, and Bill's ministry is in the uh, housing authority of Brooklyn uh, uh New York City. And so Marcus came back, I want to go to Brooklyn, and Janie says, you're not going to go to Brooklyn. You, you can't, you can do things in Shenandoah just like you can in Brooklyn. And, and Marcus is like, I don't, you know, four million people? Four thousand people. Four million people? I can do a lot more ministry up there, Mama. And so he talked to me, and he said, Papa, what do you think? I said, you can go. But we have to, me and Mama have to agree on it. So until Mama gets on board, you're not going. And so, so whatever happened, he prayed, and, and Janie said, oh, all right, you can go. And so she was releasing him, and when we took him up to New York City, Drew was with us. It was me and Janie, Andrew, and Marcus, and, and uh, we get into Brooklyn, and it, it, was, it was different. I mean, uh, Bill's ministry is an old mayor's mansion, and it's not... Old Mayor's Mansion in a good way is Old Mayor's Mansion with a eight-foot fence and razor wire around it, and it was it was built in the 1800s, and I don't think it had been updated since the 1800s. And uh, the day we spent one day sightseeing, and then we dropped Marcus off, and the lady said, "Do you remember that lady's name?" The Colleen. Colleen said, "Did you hear about Bill?" And we're like, "I'm thinking, well, something good happened. Maybe they're not going to have." this ministry right here, maybe it's going to go down to Manhattan or somewhere really nice. And then and the ministry is going to be really good because Janie was in tears. Like, you're not staying here. We drove all the way to New York City for no reason at all. We're turning around. You're coming back. And so Colleen said, no, 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 no. Bill got shot last night. I said, what happened? I said, well, somebody came behind him and stuck a gun in his mouth, and he turned just in time and just blew out the side of his cheek. And, but he's going to check himself out of the hospital tomorrow. He's still going to drive his, his, his bus for sidewalk. And he did. And me and Janie looked at each other, and Janie was like, no. No. You're, you're, no. You're not staying here. And I think Marcus must have prayed in, in, his, in, his, in his prayer language there for a quick minute or two. And, and so we, we left Marcus with, with Bill Wilson's ministry in, 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 um, in New York City. By the way, he, had just, he, he wasn't graduated from high school, and he would just gotten his driver's license, and he's driving a 20-passenger van around Brooklyn. And have you ever been to New York? The streets are this wide, literally. 
this wide. And he's trying, Papa, they got me driving a van. And you're excited? No, I don't know what to do. All the others, all the rest are internationals. They don't have a driver's license. I got to drive. So just be careful, buddy. Getting on the subway by himself, just touring the city on Mondays. Loved it. Just loved it. He came back and he went to Bible college and he came back and spent a year at Bible college. He since has graduated Bible college, got his master's from Liberty. Came back to Shenandoah and, and uh, he said, I want to move to New York. And Janie said, no. <laughs> what you did in New York, you can do in Shenandoah. We ended up buying three full-size buses and two vans to pick the kids up in a town of 5,000. His children's ministry in Shenandoah, Iowa, at times ran as many as 235 kids that were homeless, single parent, underprivileged, had messed up families. We were buying bicycles for them and backpacks. We were doing, I mean, it was a, it was a crazy, when we got here, same thing. We had two full-size vans, or two full-size buses and three vans that we were, and we were doing sidewalk. I counted up this morning that we've cooked for people in Hickory, North Carolina, over 72,000 hot dogs for the people in impoverished areas for, for 10 solid years. It's amazing. I go and knock on doors sometimes. I knocked on a door a couple years ago, and the lady came out and said, I know you. I said, I don't know you. <laughs> You're the pastor of Grace Church. I said, I am. She said, would you tell Marcus hello for me? Would you tell Marcus I made it out? Hmm. See, I think by Janie being protective with her prayers, but not with the person. There was something embedded there when he was a third grader in a lesser part of town. When he went to New York City and worked with Bill Wilson, when he came back to Shenandoah and then Hickory, because right now Marcus serves on an evangelistic team with every home for Christ. They plant 89 churches a day around the world, and they teach other churches how to lead evangelistically. What, I'm, what am I saying? Sometimes the best protection of all is to release your child into ministry or release your child into becoming what God wants them to be. And if you'll do that, there's one really quick more thing. Andrew used to play the pots and pans around the house. He'd pull out a pot. He'd bang on it with some wooden spoons. He'd have, we were in a, a lumber yard one day. And, you know, DC Talk used to have that song, People Think I'm Strange, Does That Make Me a Stranger? My best friend was born in a manger. He's playing the air guitar at four, walking down the aisle. People think I'm strange. Does that make me a stranger? I'm like, yeah, dude. It does. <laughs> he looks up at a guy. It's a true story. He looks up at the guy. My best friend was born in a manger. <laughs> Sorry. Too much sugar this morning. Hey, he's a dynamic worship leader. He's a dynamic, dynamic evangelist. Our daughters are dynamic business people. Let your child, release your child to be what God's called them to be. Don't protect them from it or you'll kill it in them. Amen. Oops, sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Mama, for allowing me to do what I do.
Thank you, Papa, for just creating that protective environment. But what is the uh, Psalms that you just said earlier is said, um, your children are like arrows. You know, where the, the objective is not to keep the arrows in the quiver nice and close because you like having them close, right? Um, our responsibility as parents is to train up our children so that they can be sent out like arrows as weapons for the kingdom of God to be used wherever they are. It doesn't mean geographically they have to leave and go to New York City, but it just means that God has a mission for each person here. And as parents, we have that privilege. It's a difficult privilege because we want our kids to stay close. At least we do. But, you know, to send them out wherever God has them to go. So thank you for, for that. Uh, let's talk about the last woman that's mentioned in Hebrews 11. Uh, this woman might surprise you that she makes it into the hall of faith. Um, her name is Rahab, and, and she is the, the prostitute in this chapter. Mama always loves it when we preach on uh, Rahab the prostitute on Mother's Day. Um, for the record, this was his idea. Uh, I'm just taking the outline and running with it. I said, yes, sir, I'll preach on the prostitute on Mother's Day. <laughs> Leave you all with that good, warm, fuzzy feeling. So let's get to it, shall we? <laughs> Hebrews 11.31 says this, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So you need a little backstory here. What, 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 what is it with it, her? Um, Rahab was fearless. That's the word that we're going to talk about, the last characteristic. And again, just to reiterate, we're not speaking to the mothers here saying, you need to be fearless. Moms, y'all are fearless. <laughs> what we're doing is we're learning from these mothers. This is, this is a word for all of us. That despite what fear would rise up against you, what circumstances come against you, we can have fearless faith just like Rahab did. So Rahab was a Gentile. That means she was not a Jewish person. Uh, her ancestors were not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. She was just somebody that was living in a town called Jericho. But after Abraham's descendants led by Moses through the Red Sea, crossed over into the Promised Land. Uh, Joshua was now the leader of Israel, and he's ready to take back the ancestral promised land that God gave to uh, Abraham, their descendants. Well, there's a town standing in the way. And the thing about Rahab is that she was, based off of her profession and everything else about her, um, her destiny was kind of, a less, you know, a, until God intervened, kind of just destined to be forgotten about, like most of the other people. I don't know if we know any of the other names of the people that lived in Jericho. Uh, she's like the sole survivor, her and her family that are kind of unnamed as far as I know. Well, anyway, uh, she actually believed that God was able, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was able to uh, destroy the city of Jericho. She just believed that based off of what she knew about the past, the people, uh, that, that the history, uh, how God led Israel out of Egypt, she just had that faith. And so it was a fearless faith that even when she was challenged on it, she, sh she chose to protect the spies. She was willing to put the faith and works together. She said, I'm going to uh, put my life on the line here. And I'm going to hide these spies and say, you, um, you're going to be safe here with me. On one condition. Uh, she told the two spies that were there, you have to save me and my family when you come back. You know, I believe you can do it. And so that's exactly what happened. Uh, what Rahab was doing was a couple things. Number one, she was countercultural. She was able to stand up in the face of 
the culture of the time, the society as it was, and say, no, I believe that this God is able to do more than what you think he can do, and so I'm going to side with him instead of taking the easy way out and just going with the flow of the cultural narrative. How much more today is the culture drifting away from the Judeo-Christian heritage that this nation was founded upon? How much more do we need to take a stand and say, you know what? Our God is able to do something mightier than whatever you think could happen. In a day and age where you think about the way this drift is happening, we need to take a stand. I remember when our daughter came home from kindergarten on the second day of school, and she had a library book that had a really specific agenda. How easy would it be to, uh, and it was at a different school for the record, uh, <laughs> uh, how easy would it be to say, you know what, um, I'm sure that's just not a big deal. We're going to teach our daughter a certain way. Absolutely not. Charity was livid. She had the fearless faith. We got on the phone. We talked to the administration. We talked on the. Uh, we talked to the uh, librarian. We talked. We sent emails and we said, "Not in my school. Not in my home." We were able to take actions to say, "You know what? The culture has an agenda, but the body of Christ has a greater agenda. Our God is still on the throne. He's still in charge. We need to stand in the face of culture, and say, not on my watch.'" Here are some areas that Paul instructed Timothy uh, in the New Testament. He said, I want you to not let anyone despise you of your youth, but set an example to believers in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. We can conduct ourselves in a way that is uh, not selfish, but selfless. Think about moms on Mother's Day, how so many moms in here whether you're spiritual mother or otherwise, and people in general, but I'm just thinking about moms, give up so much so that their children can succeed. That's conducting yourself in a way that is countercultural. Think about my own mom, uh, thinking about uh, multiple times, one or, one or two times, or maybe, maybe multiple times in that, uh, Grammy Award winning musicians said, come on tour with me. I want you to just join the years, because that doesn't surprise you, right? Because she's so good and anointed and powerful and an amazing singer, right? But um, she said, no, I'm going to be faithful to what God's called me to do. And I'm going to be here for my kids. Not against anything else. If you all want to tour, please do that. That'd be really cool. Uh, but thank you, Mama, for saying, I'm going to be faithful to what God called me to do. And I'm going to be here. Uh, and I could go on with other stories about how Mama would say, we're going to sell our house so we can open up a second campus. Or, you know, we're going to, uh, we have the opportunity to go live in a beautiful place uh, in Montana. But Mama and Papa said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to come to Hickory because there's a need here because God's called us here to be faithful to the calling that God has for you sometimes requires you to be fearless in the middle of a difficult situation. To say, you know what, I'm going to stretch out on a limb here and I'm going to make a sacrifice for what is right. So Rahab was countercultural. She also rewrote her story. I mentioned that she was destined to be forgotten. But because God intervened in her life and she had the fearless faith to step in and say, you know what? I'm going to go on God's side. She married into the Israelite nation, and her great-great-grandson was actually King David. Could you imagine King David sitting on the throne in Jerusalem thinking, wow, my great-great-grandmother, Rahab, with her story. 
God is a God that says, even my enemies can become my family. He is a God of mercy and grace. If you say, you know what, God, it doesn't matter what I've done. I want to be a part of that family too. You can rewrite your story. Even Jesus Christ. So this was 30 generations, oh, 29 generations after Rahab. Jesus is born in this lineage of this woman that we barely can pronounce and, and utter her profession on Mother's Day because it's that disgraceful, if I could say that. Jesus Christ was part of this lineage. Doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how far you've gone away from God's will. It doesn't matter what track record you have or what neighborhood you've been born in. You can rewrite your story with God's help. God is on your side if you just surrender into him. Have the fearless faith to follow after God, just like Rahab did. Wow. Amen. How many agrees with that, right? Fearless, faithful. Here's Marcus, stay up here. Here's what I'd like you to do. If you're a mother or a spiritual mother, you're a young person, a female, stand right here. I'm going to have Marcus pray over you. Uh, mothers, grandmothers, daughters, stand. I want Marcus to pray a blessing over you that you would understand faithfulness fearlessness and protection, all in the hands of God, so that he can pray as a son to mothers, spiritual mothers, women of God, that you would understand that God is for you. <laughs> He's not against you. I love the part where Rahab rewrote the record book. And, and Jesus quoted King David, and that was his lineage. So when Jesus starts quoting us, <laughs> that's a pretty good sign. Marcus, pray for them, would you? Lord, we come before you in Jesus' name, and I thank you for every woman of God in this place today, every grandmother, every mother, every daughter that's here. Lord, I thank you that you have created this army of believers that are willing to rewrite their story and surrender their lives to Christ. God, I pray that you would give them the fearless faith to stand up in front of the biggest giant that they would have, Lord, that they would say, it doesn't matter what society says or what culture's doing, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to protect my children. I'm going to protect this city. I'm going to protect the body of Christ. Lord, that each person here, I pray that you'd bless them with that protective nature. God, but also the one that has the faith in you to say, I'm going to launch my children, my spiritual children. I'm going to disciple people so that they can do what you've called them to do. God, I thank you for the promise that you've given to each person here today. God, I pray that they would be filled with faith, that they'd be counted faithful. Lord, because at the end of our life, Lord, you're not going to say, well done, good and successful, or well done, good and wealthy, well done, good and any, you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, whatever it is that you've called us to do, even if we've sacrificed much, and these ladies standing here today, I know many of them have sacrificed so much. Lord, because they wanted to be faithful to you when they could have had opportunities to do things that you weren't asking them to do. God, I pray that you would reward their faithfulness, that their faithfulness will be seeds that are sown, that in due season, God, they will reap a harvest, a mighty harvest that they would never understand possible. God, that we might not see it until we get to eternity, the kind of harvest of fruit that, we, that these ladies here are going to see. 
Lord, but because of they, they sowed in secret, Lord, you're going to reward them openly. God, I pray that you bless each person here today, especially every woman standing today. God, that you would anoint them for the task at hand. And Lord, that you'd empower them, that you give them peace, love, and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everybody stand and then we'll sing this last song.
over your family, over your children. And in that story that Pastor shared about a mama saying no to go to Brooklyn, I had to have a, what I would call a spiritual spanking from the Holy Ghost on that one. Because I was like, absolutely not. You're not going there. That's just, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. We are safe in our little church and we're just tearing it up for Jesus. And Jesus Holy Ghost tore me up. And so I began to pray, Lord, just let him know he can do that right here. This is where he's called. And um, the Holy Spirit said, and since when, Janie, did you become the Holy Spirit? When did you do the calling? When did you do the equipping? And it was like, never. I'm just trying to be the mama and keep them safe. And I remember that moment, like as if it was yesterday, and I just began to sob when he said, can I not protect the child that I trusted you with? I trusted you with this gift that I'm called to be a missionary, that I've called to go and reach just more people than I can even count and add up. And he, he said, can I not protect him in Brooklyn, and I've heard these this clear as can be. Can I not protect him in Brooklyn the same as I can in your little safe town in Shenandoah? Is it you that's protecting him in Shenandoah, or is that me? And I just began to cry and repent. I repented. God, I am so sorry. If you're calling him, you take him. You make him whoever you're calling him to be. And I'm going to put you at your word that you are going to protect him and you're going to take care of him. So I'm going to turn him over. And that was that, putting him in that basket. And that's exactly what I heard again today as, as Pastor was sharing that story. 
I remember putting him in that basket, but without my mind was, you're going to protect him there. As I cried all the way home from New York, it didn't help those tears. But that's what we got to do sometime, don't we, ladies? We got to say, God, you gave me this gift. You gave me these four beautiful gifts in my life. And my job was just to help them be who you've called them to be. And that's and that's our job, is just then to make them, everyone is different, like Pastor said. My friend, um, Carol, um, the first time I met her, I loved her, but I loved her so much more after I saw her be a mom. Um, she has two sets of twins, both twin girls, that's one. And I just thought that was so cool. And then when I got to meet them and, and hear their names and their personalities, Mark and I just stood back, just in such awe. It wasn't um, Wendy and Cindy and um, whatever, how people do that cute thing. It's cute if you did that. I'm sorry, that's really cute. But um, if you have a Wendy and a Cindy, I think that's adorable. <laughs> but um, it was Leslie and Victoria and Rachel and Ellen. And I just thought, oh, that's so different. Nothing is the same. But you know what she said? I just wanted them to grow up and have each have their own identity. And I think that's one of the biggest keys that I could leave you with today as the messages were preached so well, is let your children be each one different and be who they are because God made every one of your kids different. So don't try to make this one, Wendy, be like Cindy because that's not how it's gonna be. Let Ellen be like Ellen and Rachel be like Rachel. And if that makes sense to you, let your child, let your kids just grow up and be who God made them to be. That was his doing, not ours, right? So just just um, be encouraged by that, be encouraged by the great word today. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the gift that you've given to us and our children. We count it such a privilege as moms to get to raise these kids. And, and Lord, even today especially, I pray for every single mom, especially, Lord, who's doing this huge job all by themselves, who doesn't have that partner in their life, that father figure in their life. I just pray a special blessing on this Mother's Day over them, that you would um, give them special wisdom, special knowledge, special grace, special peace. I pray that over every single mom this morning. We haven't even mentioned that. We haven't touched on that, but you love them so much. And I pray you be the father to the fatherless who go through this alone. I just pray that for them. I pray that wisdom. I thank you for every one of them. Go with them. Give them a special day. And those who have lost their loved moms and children, you just give them a special peace as well today. You be the comfort. And we thank you for that. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all so much. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.